What's up, guys? Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of the Zach Castillo Show. And today, this episode's really just about trying to answer a question. And that question is, when did it become such a bad thing to want to grow up and be successful in America? I remember when I was a kid, and we, we didn't come from means, if you will. We, we were a, a middle-class family. My parents, my dad is a brick mason. My stepdad works in the professional services industry. My mom worked odd jobs here and there to, you know, help pay the bills. So we, you know, we didn't grow up with, we, we didn't grow up without anything, certainly, but uh, we certainly also didn't grow up with a lot of excess, which I think is most families throughout history. Although I would, I would argue that in America, that, that reality is a lot better than the average family's reality in many places across the world. And, and so I grew up personally wanting to get an education and continue my personal progression into eventually being successful one day. And, and I think that that journey has, has been interesting, right? When, when you're little and, and especially when you're little and you come from a, a place financially where you look around and you see maybe some of your friends that get to do things that you could only dream of, or you see other families that don't struggle with the same things that, that your family does, right? I mean, and, and you grow up and you think someday, I just want to have more money, which you equate, at least as a, a little kid, so often to success. That's what we think success means. And so, so we grow up, or at least we used to, at least I did, growing up wanting to be, quote, successful, which really meant making a lot of money. And as I grew, right, obviously I matured and in the definition in my mind of what success meant. And then, and then it wasn't just about money as I grew, but, but it was about making a difference. It was about being a master at whatever craft I chose. And as a young boy, the, the craft that I was chasing after was athletics. And as I grew older, it was specifically baseball. And I loved playing baseball. I worked hard to play baseball. I, I learned, I think at a, at a younger age, probably, sort of my middle school years, I learned that I wasn't the biggest and I wasn't the fastest and I wasn't the strongest. And if I really wanted to get to where I wanted to be, it was going to take hard work. I was going to just have to outwork everybody else because there were a lot of people who had a lot more talent than me. And, and then as I grew, I, I learned it wasn't just about necessarily the work ethic. It wasn't just about working harder. It was also about being smarter, working to be smarter. And I think I alluded to that in the, in the last episode of this show, which is our mind, right? The, the part of us that makes us, I think, predominantly made in God's image is right in between these ears, right? It's our mind. It's our ability to, to create and to think and to, to actually take those thoughts and turn them into something, right? And so as I, as I grew, it was like, oh my gosh, it's not just about working hard. And I did, I worked hard, I, I grew into, I didn't always work hard. 
And I think if you're watching this as an aside, it's something to think about. I grew up, my, my younger years, I, I didn't necessarily work that hard. I mean, I always had drive, but there, there was a point in my life where I had a couple of people, a couple of coaches, and, and they really encouraged me. And it was like a light bulb went off. And it was like one, one day, or it was really one summer, my whole life changed. And my life changed because I had these two, these two men who really encouraged me. And they told me, Zach, you know what? You can really do this. But if you're going to do it, you got to start working harder. And I, I think that that encouragement was something that, it's not that my parents didn't give it to me. It's just sometimes it, it, it requires somebody outside of your family unit to see something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself. And for me, it was these two men and they encouraged me. And then it was like this light bulb went off and my whole life changed. And from that point on, it was work hard, work hard, work hard. If, if you're watching this and, and you knew me or you played sports with me in high school, you know that that I would get to the, to the gym at 5, 5, 5.30, 6 in the morning, and we'd hit baseballs. And then we'd go out after school in the rain up here in Washington State, and we'd get the jugs balls, and we'd be out there, and we'd be in the mud. And I had two, two buddies who worked just as hard or harder than me right alongside me, and, and it was a little pack that we had in, in some ways. And, and we just worked hard, and it paid off. It really did pay off. And I was fortunate. I, I was fortunate in that the way that that hard work paid off. And ultimately, that hard work ended up in a college baseball scholarship. And I was I finished my college baseball career at Washington State University. Go Cougs! I got sort of crimson on now. Although I'm not really a diehard Cougs fan. I, I know that's like sacrilegious sacrilegious to say that, but but the reality is is uh, it was a great experience. And it was something that I never would have experienced had I not learned that hard work does pay off. Had I grown up in an environment like there is today where it seems to me that the narrative that so often we are telling children is that it doesn't matter how hard you work. The system's rigged against you. This American dream that, that your, your parents bought into is, is a farce. It seems so often to me that that's the narrative that is conveyed to the next generation. And, and, and it's almost gotten to the point where when you look at the way that business owners or, or I don't know, even executives or people, not even executives, not even business, just people who have become successful in their craft. When we look at how they're portrayed, it's like it's a bad thing. It's like... What are kids? What are kids today aspiring to? And I know that there. This is not a blanket statement. I know that it's not all that way. I know that there are plenty of children who grow up still wanting to be successful, still wanting to climb the ladder, if you will. But but there's just the this weight of a narrative that is not that. There's this narrative out there, and it's this big, heavy narrative that's like. No, that's not what America's about. You know, you're being oppressed and that oppression is unovercomable. And it doesn't matter what you do or who you become or how hard you work or what you learn, you're stuck. And I think it's such a shame and I think it's part of what's tearing apart our country and it's a lie. 
It's a lie because you know, the reality is, the truth is, is that to become who you wanna become and to succeed, it, it does take hard work. And it does require so often overcoming oppression and overcoming stigma and overcoming negativity. And it's always been that way and it will always be that way. And there is no perfect society we can ever create that will take that reality away. And I think it's a shame that that's, that that lie is what so many kids in the next generation are being told. And I refuse to tell it to my children. Instead, my wife and I want to take the approach of telling our children that you can overcome even in the face of the greatest adversity. Even in a time like this, where when you look around, it's easy to think that there is no hope for America. It's easy to think that we can't get out of this. It's easy to think that it's, it's over. And if that's how we think, that's what we'll get. But we don't need a bunch more people who think that way. We don't need a bunch more people who take action based on those thoughts. Instead, we need people who rise up and say, no, this is still America and it's still worth fighting for. And it's still a place that can be fixed. And it's a place that we can, the, the road we can straighten. And it's a place that can be great. Does it need some tweaking? Of course, it always will. But we need people with, with hard work ethic and a great mind and a vision that can be bought into, a vision that can be conveyed clearly for people to be able to buy into it. And so for me, in my journey, you know, I got to college and I, I had this experience of being able to play baseball. And, and then I got to this point where playing baseball really felt like a, a job. And people don't, I think, always realize or probably often don't realize what college athletics really, really is. And, and, and really it is a job. You are being paid. Like you are, you are exchanging your time and your talent for right, tuition or tuition and books or tuition and books and living expenses. You are essentially trading yourself uh, for this education. And I can remember it was, you know, we would swim. That was part of our conditioning at maybe six o'clock in the morning. And that would go for some time. And then maybe we'd go work out and then we go to class and then we get maybe an hour to go eat lunch. And then we'd go to practice and then we traveled and we played games and People think maybe football's different. I don't know. I wasn't a football player, but people think that there's people out there that take your tests for you and do your homework and not for baseball players, at least. I mean, we, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work and there was nobody doing it for you. And there was nobody tutoring you and, and there was nobody cheating, uh, doing your tests and cheating for you. There was none of that. And so there, there was this period of time as I got older, where I realized, okay, what, what I think I always wanted, I, I don't know that I really want that. I don't know that I really want to be a professional baseball player. And I, I probably wasn't even good enough to be a professional baseball player, but, but that's not the mindset that I played with. My, my mindset when I was playing college baseball wasn't that I wasn't good enough to be a professional baseball player. Instead, it was like, no, I'm, I'm going to continue to aspire to be a professional baseball player. That's what I've wanted to do my whole life. But there was this time where I realized well, maybe that's not what I want. This isn't fun anymore. And if it's going to be a job, I, I, I don't know that I want to do this for a job. I think I might want to do something else. 
And part of the reason that that began to happen and that change began to take place in me is because there was, it was like, I never grew up thinking I was that smart. Uh, I, I just didn't. I, I kind of felt like I was maybe average. And then as I got to college, it was like this other moment in my life where this light bulb went off and all of a sudden things that didn't used to make sense started to make sense and things that I didn't used to understand started to click and the person that I used to be started to change. And I had a few great experiences. Uh, again, I had a, a communication professor in my, my second year in college. And she, she just said a few things to me that really changed my life and they changed who I was and it was the beginning, right? If you, if you know me, and I hate to admit it, but my maturity process in terms of how I relate to people and how I work with people and how I speak to people and how I deal with people has taken a lot longer than I would ever have hoped. But it all began, I think, when, when one, I really surrendered my life to Jesus. And around that same period of time, I had this professor who really started to kind of hold me accountable for some ways that I saw the world. And it was like, okay, all of a sudden, bam, these things start clicking and school starts becoming easier to me. And I start to understand things that I didn't before. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I can do something else besides play baseball. Not that I didn't think I could before, but like, maybe I can be really good at something else. And, And then it was like, I had spent my whole life developing my athletic skills up to that point until I was about 19. It was like all my extra time and energy and effort for all those years had gone into my body and my athletic endeavors. And then it was like this switch where then I was like, no, I want to I develop my mind. Like my mind is going to be way more beneficial, way more powerful than any swing I could ever develop, right? Than any 40-yard dash I can ever run. And... And then it was like this curiosity just came alive in me. And I was curious. I'm still curious. Part of why I do this and share these things is because of my infinite curiosity. And, And then I got to see what happened when that light bulb, that second light bulb in my life went off. And, the, and, and since that day has been the journey of, of that light bulb going off for me. And I, I don't share my story because it, I think it's, you know, some great story. I share my story because I think it all started. Like my story started because I was a little kid who was just, who was just looking at my life, looking at the way my family lived, looking at the struggles that we had, saying, I want to grow up and I don't want to struggle with those things anymore. And that's not dogging on my parents. I mean, I I am so grateful because my parents, like, and I think that's the thing, and I'm going off on a little tangent here, so forgive me, but, but I think that's one of the big challenges about spoiled generations is so often we look back as a generation, sort of in general, and we sort of poo-poo the generation before us, right? And I don't, I don't look at it that way with my parents. I look at my, my father, for example, and he's a bricklayer. And he would go out in the scorching heat, in the freezing cold, every day, all day, year after year after year after year, and he would lay bricks. And some people in America today, and I think part of the reason that that we look down on success today is because there are some successful people that look at my father or people like my father with disdain, with disgust. They look down at them. 
And that's a shame because I look at my father and I say, what a great sacrifice. That man every day went to work and he didn't complain and he wasn't aspiring to something greater and he wasn't always thinking the grass was greener on the other side. Instead, he just wanted to give his kids a better shot at a better life and that was his sacrifice. And I am so grateful. And then I look at my stepfather who, who, who took over as my father and my brother's father when I was four and he was two and he didn't have to. And he, and he actually switched careers and he took a less paying job because he felt like it was the right thing to do. And, and I didn't know at the time I was too young, but, but as I grew up and our family would have conversations, I learned that, that at that time, my father, my stepfather, he had a moral choice to make and he chose the moral high ground over the monetary high ground. And that taught me a lesson as I got older. And then he provided for us and he taught us lessons and he was there and he didn't have to be, he wasn't my real dad, but I call him dad because, and, and listen, I'm giving you the good sides of the story. Okay. There were lots of bad things like in anybody's life that happened, but, but I don't see any value in dwelling on those things or talking about those things or even sharing those things because the story of my life, the story of, of those men in my life that I take with me, that I want to focus on, aren't the bad things. They're the good things. They're the, the things that, that have helped propel me to where I am, that, that have helped to to tell and craft my story. And, and so I have these two men and, and they worked hard. And the same with my stepfather, he'd go out every day and he'd work hard and he'd leave really early and he'd come home late. But for my stepfather, I got to watch as, as he would have more success, he would take a, a greater position and he would move up and he would move up and he would move up. And then by the time I graduated high school, his financial reality was much different than what it was when we were little. And I got to see the proof of, of what hard work and dedication and, and being committed to your craft can do. And then at the same time, I watched my mom and she would, she would go to work and she would raise the kids and she would, she would do all the things at home. And, and then still for many of those years, go out and also have a job outside of the home. And, and, and to see, how hard my, my, the whole point in all of that is like, I look at my parents and the generation that came before me and I think what great sacrifice they made so that I could even be doing this right now, that I could even be having multiple video cameras and all these little gadgets, sharing thoughts that, that had I not had parents who were willing to sacrifice so that I could go get educated, who, who, who were willing to drive me around to baseball practice and all these things, had I not had parents willing to do that, I could not even be here sharing these things. And that's not something to look down upon. That's not something to frown upon. That's not something to, to take lightly. And I think part of the answer to the question I posed at the beginning of why, why is success sort of frowned upon, sort of looked down upon in America today? And I think so often it's because success and the pursuit of success and the pursuit of happiness got perverted. It, we got to this point where it was like, listen, if you're not taking pictures of your wads of money or your nice cars or your fancy houses on and posting them on Instagram and all this garbage, then, then somehow you're less than. 
And that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And I share this because as I have in, in most of the rest of these videos, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to this place where we, we, we teach our children, listen, if you work hard, if you develop your mind, if you develop the discipline of discipline, you can accomplish anything. And there will be roadblocks, guaranteed. There will be people who do not believe in you, guaranteed. There will be people and circumstances that make you want to quit, that make you think that everything you've been working on, everything you've been working towards is for nothing. But that's not the truth. The truth is, if you want to make a difference, if you want to change the outcome, if you want to change your future, you keep working hard. You keep developing the discipline of discipline. You keep being kind to people, learning how to communicate. There's these, these things, right? Like that if you do them, if you learn them, you can succeed. And it might be monetary success. That might be part of your success. And it might not be. And it might, you might be a bricklayer, but dang, be the best bricklayer that you could ever possibly be. And I think that so often is the answer. The answer is not be as good as the next guy or the next girl. The answer is not aspire to what they have or who they are. No, the, 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 the answer is be the best you can be in whatever you are doing. So often that is the answer. And I, I want to get back to what I will call normal where we say, kids, listen, the world is tough. Uh, before I started this show, I, I did some videos uh, when, when the pandemic started. And it was called, Life is Hard, But You Can Win. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that the message that we should be sharing with the next generation, and heck, even our generation, is that life is hard. And in America, life's a lot less hard, regardless of where you're at than it is pretty much in most of the rest of the world. But it is still hard. And pain is pain. It's a physiological response, and it's there, and it's real. Excuse me. And life is hard. But you can win, and I can win, and we can win. And being successful, being a success, is not a bad thing. And we don't need less people who want to be successful. Hell, we need more people who are, are dedicated to doing what it takes to succeed. But listen, if you're watching this and maybe, maybe you are the next generation, then it's like, well, what is success? And maybe that's another video for another time. And I don't pretend to have all the answers. But for me, as I think about this off the cuff, I would say, when we aspire to success, what does that look like? Well, I believe that if our success only leads to our life getting better, and nobody else's, that's not real success. Real success, in my mind at least, at least as I sit here today sharing this, is, is when our life improves, so do the lives of the people around us or the people that are involved in what we are doing, right? If our business is to be successful, let's say you wanna be in business, then if you're the only person like reaping the fruit of that success, it's not a success. But if your clients and customers have better lives because of the product or the service that you provide, that's successful. But if your employees' lives are miserable because you're taking advantage of them in order to get your clients what you promise, I don't think that's very successful. 
But if your clients and your employees and your contractors, if their lives are getting better because of what your business is doing, that's successful. If, if we as, as Christians get, the, the Bible says, what is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right? If, if we've achieved all the success that the world has to offer, but we don't love our neighbor, but we don't take care of the poor, but we don't uh, participate in church, I don't think that's successful. That's just my opinion. Success, though, is for me, putting God first. Like the Bible, it has this verse in it that's so challenging. And it says, you want to follow me, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but you want to follow me, you say that you're a disciple, you have to hate your mother and your father in order to love me. And I don't think that that actually means that we're supposed to hate our family. I think that what that means is that our dedication and our love for the Lord has to make our love for our family almost look like hatred because we follow him first and foremost. Because, because in a culture, and I struggle with this, I think that anybody in my generation probably struggles with, struggles with this, and that's authority. We don't like authority very much. And yet, a true Christian walk is completely surrendered to the authority of Christ. And, and when we do that, when we embark on the challenge of doing that, when we're so sold out to his authority, it almost makes everything else look like hatred because it's like, I'm following you. You're the leader. I'm following you. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And I think ultimately, if what we are doing in our lives, if what we are aspiring to, if what we are teaching our kids to, to go for and shoot for and work for, as Christians, goes outside of first and foremost following, following Christ, that's not success. And so I think for us, hey, listen, if we want to change culture, if we want to have a seat at the table, if we really want to impact our communities and our families and our workplaces, I don't see how we do it. I don't see how we do it. I don't see how it's successful unless first and foremost we're following the direction of Christ. And so here we are. I'm going full circle back to uh, probably my first or second episode here when I talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Can we live in a way, can our success that we aspire to be success that, that, that really shows the reality of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Because like if we're running our business or we're trying to be a, an athlete and we want to be a professional athlete or whatever that, that goal and that dream that everyone says you can, you can do it, if, if that thing that we're chasing after doesn't result in love and joy and peace and pay, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, then, then I would venture to say that it's probably not that successful. And that if instead of that thing that we're chasing, if instead what we're chasing is the outcome, and the outcome is not money necessarily or notoriety or any of those things, but instead is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, then I would say that it doesn't really matter what we are doing, but that if that's the outcome, it's successful. 
And, and so I think that when I look at how do I want to, how do I want to raise my kids and, and, and what would I tell my kids to inspire them and motivate them and drive them to, to a successful life? I would say, you know, first, God has given you gifts and talents. They're innate. They're in you. Like they are who he made you. And you should use those for his glory. Because this is where I think sometimes we go wrong when we, when we teach children in the next generation and we always try and make them get better at what they're really not very good at. And, and, and there's a place for that. There's a time for that, right? Like if your kid, if your child is really unorganized and messy, certainly it, it's prudent and it's good parenting to teach them to become cleanly and more organized. But to just try and pound into the head of your child who is in, innately maybe not that way, doesn't lean type A, that they should be type A is probably bad parenting. But instead, what good parenting so often would be, well, what are they good at? They might be super creative. Well, cultivate the creativeness. Cultivate the creativity. Inspire them in the creative endeavors that they naturally want to, to embark on. And for us as individuals, I think it's finding those things in our lives that we are good at, that God has given us, wow, given us gifts and talents in, and to cultivate those things. And so for my child, I would say first and foremost, we got to identify your gifts and your talents. Second, we got to try to do the things that allow you to use those gifts and talents. And we got to figure out how we can, can use those gifts and talents in a way that brings God glory, that, that doesn't bring you or me glory, that doesn't make me famous on the internet and make everyone look at my photos and say, oh my gosh, I wish I was like him or her. That's not the point of Christianity. That's, that's the world's way. It's not working out real well for us as a culture and a society. And I'm not saying that it's bad to put up a picture of your nice home or, or your family or anything on, on the internet. I don't think that's inherently bad, but I think in, in our spirit, if we're doing it because we're, we're, we're longing for recognition or likes or comments or whatever, then, then it's bad, right? Or if we're doing it because we want to show off then, or we want to glorify ourselves, then it's bad because that's not what we're told to do. But if we're doing it because we are trying to teach something or inspire someone or, or, or inform someone, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Okay, so, so I want to help my child find their gifts and their talents, and I want to help them find opportunities to use those gifts and talents, right? As many as I can. Try as many things as you can where you can use your gifts and your talents until you find something that you really love doing. And then it's okay to have a dream. It's okay to have a dream, to be a great, smashing, awesome success at that thing or those things. But then it's going to take hard work. And it's going to take dedication. And it's going to take not listening to people. And I'm not saying don't listen to constructive criticism, but I'm not, what I am saying is don't let someone give you an identity because of what they're saying when that's not your identity. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the naysayers. Certainly look in the mirror and reflect and get better. But don't let them deter you from your goal. But at the same time, in the pursuit of your goal and ultimately in the culmination and the achievement of said goal, if you lose your joy and your love and your hope and your peace and your patience and your kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, then it's not 
That's not what you're going after. Instead, what you're going after, what we are going after, is the achievement of those goals in a way that brings God glory, and we bring God glory when we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And like I always say in these things, I, I'm speaking to myself right here as much as I am you because I, even as I say this, I think of my own journey and all the times where I've failed so miserably at literally like every single one of those things. And I think that's probably why the Bible says that, that it's the Word that renews your mind. It's God's Word that renews your mind because, because if we just go through life, if we just go through the motions, if we just are so focused on success and our goals, it's like it's inherent in our sin nature that we end up trying to do things the world's way. And then we might achieve the goals, but we miss the point along the way. And the point is to glorify God and reflect his image. And he is a God of all those things that I've said about four times, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the God that we serve. And so if you're watching this, and, and I know you on a personal level, and you have been around me or seen me do all of the opposite of those things, I apologize. I'm human. I confess and repent. And part of why I like to share these is because they're also a reminder for me of who am I called to be? What am I called to? Because sometimes, sometimes it's really easy, I think, to go through life and, and not even be held accountable because maybe people don't want to hold you accountable. We live in this culture where if like you speak out against something that someone's doing, it's a real taboo thing. And so nobody's really personally holding each other accountable like they used to. And so when I, when I come out and I say these things, I'm like, oh, got to hold myself accountable there. But I think that's what we need. We, we need, and I think that's why we need community. You know, I, I think when we, we think about the political challenges and the religious challenges and the, the economic challenges and all these things, well, when we create society of silos, right, where it's really easy to just stay online and, and do the group think, and stay in our lane, in our silo, and never come together, and never have dissenting opinions or thoughts, then it's really easy to end up in a society that looks a lot like ours. And I don't think more of that, I don't think, it's like I keep saying, I don't think doubling down on the silos is the solution to the problems. Instead, I think, and I keep saying this, but I truly, truly believe it. I think that this, the, the solution to so many of these problems is bringing people together to have those conversations. And, and I think I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't think that that necessarily means bringing the people that are way out on the fringes into those conversations. Now, it's not that we're excluding them. It's that the message that we want to send isn't an inherent message that's trying to convince the fringes that they're wrong. Because the reason they're on the fringes is because it's really hard to convince them that they are wrong. It's really hard for them to change their mind. And the problem that we have right now is so much of what we're doing is trying to convince the fringes that they're wrong instead of taking the bulk of the people who are more in the center and saying, I think we're right. And I think we need to take back the conversation because we've tried it their way for a long time and it keeps getting worse. And there's a lot more of us than there are of them. And we can actually come together and have a conversation and give and take, 
and find balance. And we believe that that's where the solutions lie. And, and as it relates to the whole point of this conversation, which is when did it become such a bad thing in America to want to be successful? I just do not believe that the bulk of the people in America want to raise their children to tell them that they're screwed, that it doesn't matter what they do, they're just a victim, there's nothing they can do to change their circumstances or their outcomes, and that America is a failed experiment, and that America is this horrible place, and that America is nothing that, that for the last 230 years or so we thought it was. I don't think that's the bulk of America. I don't. And I certainly don't think that that's how we change America, how we continue to make America better. Not make America great again, necessarily, but make America better than it was yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. Because I think where we go wrong so often is we want to take where we are today and we want to like catapult it forward or we want to rip it backward in time. That's not how it works. <laughs> Instead, what we should do is focus on making America better tomorrow or next year than it was this year fix some of the problems that we had last year, this year. And we inch it forward and we inch it forward. And yes, are there times where we have to make some big policy decisions to try and give it a, a nice shove? Absolutely. And those are the times where we come together and we have to debate those issues and, and we have to really work together to find compromise. So anyway, I kind of went off there. I don't think that America is a place where we should be telling people that success is a bad thing. I think America is a place where we need to maybe redefine success. And I've tried to do a little bit of, a little bit of that here. But I think America is a place where, by golly, we should be encouraging everyone to be a success. We should be encouraging everybody every day, all day, to be the best that they can that they can be with the gifts and the talents that God has given them. And not for their own glory, not to build their own little kingdom here on earth, but to build his kingdom and the kingdom that lasts forever. So that's what I've got this week. I uh, appreciate always you checking these out. I know some people are listening to them on a podcast platform. I appreciate that. If you like it, um, I think I only have one comment. on. So I, so I don't think that there's that many people listening on the podcast platform. But if you are, I'd love to get some more comments because I think that's kind of how these things get out there more. If you're watching this on YouTube, which is where I think most people are consuming this or, or on a website, uh, if, if you like these, please hit the thumbs up. That's apparently what matters these days. If, if you want to follow along for the journey and you really, feel, uh, you really feel obliged, you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I appreciate that. Until I get 100 subscribers, I can't actually like name the channel. It's this weird thing at the end of the URL, which is like 30 numbers and letters. So it's hard to tell people where to go. So I think I got 70 something right now. If I can get to 100, then I can give it a name. And I think that'll make it a little bit easier to get that message out. So if you like it, if you're watching it on YouTube, I'd love to have you subscribe. Even more than that, I'd love to have you hit that thumbs up or share this online wherever, wherever you might feel. Um, that to be what you would do. So thanks for checking this out and I'll see you next week. Take care.